You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. Easter weekend. We're here. Let's get it. Father, we are so excited to be here. I'm so excited, God, and I just pray that everyone else is just feeling that excitement, Lord, that anticipation, God, that you are here in the room, in each of our rooms, wherever we are at, God, you are here. We're two or more gathered. Lord, you didn't say that there is some type of limitation by technology and social distancing, but God, we're gathered together today, so we're believing that you're here and that you're going to speak and that you're going to impart power, that you're going to impart life, God, that you're going to change lives and perspectives. God, and we ask for that to happen today. God, I pray that you would use me as a vessel to say what you want to say. God, that you would bring glory to yourself, Lord, and that you would just bring us and our focus back to you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen, amen. Again, guys, go ahead and feel free to comment in the chat, but um, we're having our Easter service online as you guys see this, and it's not how we thought that our first Easter service for the Fervent Church would go, but this is where we are, and the Bible says that God works all things together for good for those who are called um, according to God's will. And so I believe this is one of the things that God is working this together in his huge plan of redemption that he's been working since Adam and Eve, and he's going to be working till the end of Revelation, right? He has woven this part, this time of social distancing, this time of tuning in online into history, and we are using this today. So he's working it together for good. And so we want to uh, welcome you guys again. Comment in the comment section. If you if you hear something good, say amen. If you got a question, write it down. Our team is online as well, and they'll help answer some questions if you have any. Um, but uh, we want you to be interactive. But tonight's message title, if you take notes, and I would totally encourage you to take notes. Not because like I think that you're going to have to go look it up. And what did that person say, or what was that verse and stuff. But when we take notes, we engage a little bit more mentally, a little bit more emotionally than we would if we just watch and listen. And so when you're taking notes, you're actually, you're um, digesting that information, the Bible verses, the teaching, the application on just a whole nother level. And so um, I just want to encourage you guys to take notes, but tonight's message title is Soon Enough. Soon enough. And let me just ask you guys, how many of you have had that thought like that this whole COVID thing right now, this whole social distancing, unemployment, losing jobs, man, the next paycheck, it can't come soon enough. Say it with me, guys. Type it in the chat. Soon enough. That's tonight's message title. And so COVID-19 going and man, can't come soon enough, right? The end of this thing can't come soon enough. But don't get me wrong, though, and I do want to point out some plus is, um, or positives, um, pros, in this time of social distancing, and man, I've got to say that family time has been just off the hook, right, at an all-time high for me. I came from Tucson where I worked two jobs. Both jobs were different crazy hours. Some mornings I had to leave before my kids and wife would get up. Some nights I would come home and they're already asleep, and so what's been really great and refreshing for me is just to be able to be home be here with the kids, be there for bedtime every night, right? And be there in the morning when they're waking up um, in the morning. So it's been great, but don't get me, uh, uh, so don't get me wrong in that. But how many of you are like me and like, hey, it's like 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the kids haven't taken a nap. Um, We've watched every cartoon there is to watch. We've sang songs, we've gone outside, we've ran ran around the yard, Uh, we had snacks, all of that stuff, right? And then you're just like, man, like, Can we just go back to the regular way of of life, right? It just can't come soon enough. Um, And so, so for some of you in the same boat, but you're, well, let's get serious for a moment, right? It's like the kids thing is funny, it's cute and all that, but it's like, seriously, like the death toll, the end of that can't come soon enough. This unemployment rate going up through the roof, right? We've seen, what is it, 17 million people 
um, claimed unemployment in the last three weeks. And I haven't looked up the statistics in history, but that might be the biggest number that there ever has been in, a, in that short of a time frame. Um, and so when we're looking at this stuff, we're like, man, like, this can't, the end of this can't come soon enough. We're just, I'm just done with these things. And so my words for you tonight to start out anyways is just soon enough. Soon enough, guys, we will see the end of this. Soon enough, we're going to see the end of COVID-19. But I want to take it a step further. And I want to say this, and maybe you haven't thought of this, but soon enough, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's in 20 years, we're going to see Jesus. Soon enough, we're going to see Jesus. And so what I want to get into tonight, and I want to start with going back to Good Friday, right? Good Friday happened yesterday. We celebrated it and we remembered the death of Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who, who maybe you're new to the gospel message, it's Good Friday. It sounds good, right? Everybody's like, oh, they're going to church and it just seems like a really great thing going on. But really Good Friday was a dark Friday, probably the darkest in history that the world has ever seen and probably will ever see um, until God totally just shuts it all down, right? But Good Friday was the day that Jesus went to the cross. And I just want to go back for you guys to paint the picture. Jesus Christ, I think we need to stop for a moment. When we come to Good Friday, it's easy just to be like, oh, Jesus died for us on the cross. But do we remember who Jesus actually was or is? Right in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In chapter, or verse 14, a little bit later on down, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, if you read all of John's gospel account and you read the other gospel accounts, there's no, there's no um, confusion. There's no mixing it up to say, well, who is the Word? And who's the one that became, who, who came down and became flesh, a man? Right, well, it's Jesus, obviously. So if we took Jesus and we insert him into that verse, it says, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then it says, Jesus came down and took on the form of flesh. Can I get an amen if you just believe that, right? And so Jesus is God, and I don't know how to describe it to you guys, but we need to remember sometimes when we come into Easter weekend, when we come into Good Friday, and we come into this whole resurrection celebration, Jesus is not just a man who died on a cross. Jesus is God. He's the living God. And so take it in for a moment. Seriously, like just hit pause on our brain when we're just trying to go back to church service. All I've heard this before. Like, take it in. Take it in. God. Almighty God. In, in John chapter 1, it also says that in the beginning, um, that all things were created through him. Who? Jesus. All things were created through Jesus and not anything that was made um, came into being um, other than through him. He's saying, I created it all. That's the trees. That's the ground. That's the mountains. That's the oceans. All of it. You and me, every person past, every um, person that's going to be in the future, God made it all. So when we think about it, man, God, the Bible says that God holds the world in the, sp the span of his hands, the universe, actually. And the span of his hands. And so you get this picture of this God who is just so incredibly big. And we got this little itty bitty universe. And then you take that universe and you actually dive into it. And then you get into our solar system. That's one solar system in the midst of all of these other solar systems. And then there we are on Earth, which is just one planet inside of our solar system. right? And then there we are on this one continent, in this one state, in this one city. And that's where we are. Man. And we're talking about that God loves you and me so much that he would come down, take on flesh, and die for us. Wow. Just take it in for a second. Good Friday. Man, like he died for us. Jesus, God Almighty. I've said it before to some of my friends and stuff. It's like Jesus is like the CEO, the the founder of the company, the one who shouldn't have to do anything because he put in all the hard work to make it all possible, right? It's like he's the CEO of the universe and he steps down to be the janitor to clean up the mess. That's exactly what he did. He steps down to clean up our mess. Our mess was sin. Sin was a problem. And so we call it Good Friday because it's good for us because we get forgiveness of sins. We get uh, cleansing of sin. And it was all to fulfill and to complete the Father's will, right? That God is 
the Holy Trinity, right? We got the Father God, we got the Son God, and we got the Holy Spirit God. And I'm not the Son God, S-U-N, S-O-N, Jesus, God. And I, I can't tell you how it all works together. And many people have tried to use analogies. And there's the analogy of the egg and how God's like an egg. And there's the shell, and then there's the whites, and then there's the yolk. And it's all one egg. And then people tear it apart and say, well, the shell's not the whites. And the white's not the yolk. And the yolk's not the shell. And they try to make it not a picture. But I mean, it's like trying to understand that God, that Jesus is the same as the Holy Spirit. Right? They, they have equal standing. They all have the same... Um, they're all the same, but they all serve different purposes. Kind of like water, right? It exists in three states, right? We got liquid, solid, and gas. Um, and so maybe that's a better example. And they all have different forms and different um, purposes. But so the Father's will, um, I believe even all the way back to Adam and Eve, is like when sin entered the world, God told Adam and Eve, hey, if don't eat of this, don't do it. Because when you do, you will surely die. He says that you're going to die because you're, in, you're, you're bringing death into the world, is what he's saying. But what I believe God, from his all-knowing, all-seeing perspective, again, just looking at, at this scene, he's saying, Adam, don't eat of it, because if you do, it's going to bring forth death. And what he's saying is, don't do it, because if you do, now I have to unfold this whole plan of redemption and to get you guys back, because I love you so much, I don't want to lose you, and the only way that I can get you back is if I die for you. So the Father's will was that Jesus would go to the cross, the Son would go to the cross. Remember, Jesus prayed, said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus didn't want to do it. I mean, it says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, but joy doesn't mean that it felt good. Joy isn't just some feeling. Joy is rooted in something, right? And so Jesus says, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, your will be done, God. Nonetheless, your will be done. And so we know that the Father answered that prayer, by the way. Many people would say, oh, see, Jesus, he didn't answer your prayer. No, he did. You said, if there is any other way. Well, the fact of the matter is there is no other way, Jesus. My son, you've got to go through this. And so Jesus endured the cross for us. And then this is, then, then the story goes on. That's, that's Good Friday, right? It's good for us. It was bad for Jesus. But put yourself in the shoes of the disciples on Good Friday. Put yourself in the shoes of Peter, John, James, uh, all the other disciples. Put, put your yourself in their shoes. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. If anything, it was heartbreaking, right? It was worrisome. Everything that they have just invested their life into, the last three years, they've left jobs, guys. Peter, he was a fisherman. Maybe he had a rocking fishing um, uh, company. You know what I mean? It's like he had one of those jobs where it's like, hey, even if the economy goes down, I got the essential job and I'll never go out of business. And Peter's like, I got it made. I got security, right? And he and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. So Jesus puts it, or Peter puts it all down and comes and follows Jesus. What about Matthew, the tax collector? We could probably argue that he made somewhat of a wealthy salary, right, each year, right, collecting taxes, wronging the people. But Jesus calls him out and says, hey, you, come follow me. So they left these things, and they come and follow him, and they give up their whole life. They give up their lives for this, and they start following Jesus. And then as they're following Jesus, guys, man, they're starting to see the miraculous, they're starting to see that Jesus is not just a man, that he is God, that he, he has something special about him, right? It's like they see, like, man, I've seen him heal the blind. Yeah, guys, it was crazy. I remember I was there, and Jesus spit into the mud, and he picked up the mud, and he rubbed it on the guy's eyes. And, man, if you and me were there, don't you think that you'd be like, what is this dude doing? That, that's not okay, man. He's making this look guy, this handicapped guy look like a fool right now. But Jesus, he knew what he was doing. He puts the mud on his eyes. And he says, hey, go across and go wash in the pool of Bethesda, and you're going to be able to see, right? So he goes and washes his eyes off in the pool. Man, boom, the dude sees. And the disciples, again, they're there with him. Like, I saw him open the eyes of the blind. Peter, be like, I saw him walk on water. Matter of fact, I didn't just see him walk on water. Jesus actually told me, said, hey, you, Peter, come on out here with me. Right? It's like they saw the incredible. They're, all the disciples could be like, hey, I remember when there was 5,000 people. We were all starving to death. And we we're like, hey, tell them to go get some food somewhere else because we only barely got enough food for us. Jesus and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So they bring what they barely had that was probably barely enough for the 12 men. 
right? And then Jesus prays, he blesses it, he breaks it. And then scriptures say that there was enough for 5,000 men, not including women and children. So there was significantly more, and we could probably easily double that number, that he fed with those five loaves and, and those fish, right? And then the disciples would say, man, I was there and I collected baskets full, guys, baskets full. I'm serious right now. Like, believe me when I say this, that we had one basket when we started, we had 12 when it ended. It was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like the disciples just know those things. The disciples could be like, I was there when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, dead for four days, right? He'd been rotting. He'd been stinking away in the, in the grave. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come. And he came out of the grave. The disciples just seen just the unthinkable. And so for those three years, they're seeing this stuff. They're like, yes, Lord, this is good. Come on, preach. Yeah, do another miracle. Tell us to do some more stuff. Let's cast the demon out of that person. Oh, they're sick. Let's pray for them. Let's get them better too, right? Just feeling unstoppable. But then Good Friday happens and Jesus goes to the cross and dies. And so then after the, Jesus is pulled down by the Roman guards, they stab a, a spear up into his side, right? And then water and blood come out. And for those of you who might know some of the... Um, doctor terms there. I don't know what the term is, but that just signified like, yep, he has died, right? And um, I think it's a heart attack or something. A broken heart is really what it is. But Jesus had died, pull him down, and they put him in a tomb. Roman soldiers put him in a tomb, right? They don't just put him in just a grave, right? That we see like, oh, there's a graveyard or whatever. And there's just a nice little um, tombstone there. It's like, no, they put him inside of a, a rock cave, and then they put a rock over it. So for any of you who have ever tried to pick up like a big boulder before, like sometimes you see one, like here's a here's like a ball right here. But if this thing were a, a boulder, like some of you guys CrossFit people or strongman people, like if this was an Atlas stone, I wouldn't be able to just pick it up like this. Like this would be like a hundred something pounds. Like it'd be heavy. So imagine a stone big enough to block an opening um, of a place where they just laid this body, probably like a five foot at least, rolled this stone in there, and they didn't just roll the stone in there, they sealed it, the Bible says. They sealed it, probably with wax or some other stuff, because they didn't want anybody getting in. But, but they took it further than that. They took it further than that. They didn't just seal it so nobody can get in. They didn't just put a big, huge stone that nobody's going to move anyways, because that's ridiculous, right? But they put Roman guards around this thing, because they're like, nobody's getting in here. And if they try to get in here... Uh, we're going to be tossing them in a, in a tomb of their own too. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like, we're going to put them to death. And then, but even more importantly for them is they were trying to keep Jesus from coming out. They're like, if this dude does raise from the dead, man, we got to take the clubs and we're going to bash him and we're going to throw him back in because we can't let that be getting out. Like they were serious about keeping Jesus in there. Like this is not, this is a big deal. So good Friday happens. All of that happens. And again, imagine the disciples, they're going home. What do you go home to? after your savior has died? What, what do you go home to after you realize that you're, the guy you just followed just died on a cross, they put in a tomb, they sealed it, and there's Roman guards over there. I can't even go over there to pray or, or put flowers on this thing. Like, they're not letting us over. You know what I'm saying? How, how depressing and discouraging and heartbreaking would those disciples be then, there? So Good Friday happens, they pull him down, they put Jesus into a tomb. He's lifeless. He's dead. The disciples, again, brokenhearted, defeated, their hopes and dreams shattered, right? We know they had hopes and dreams, right? Was it James and John? Their mom came to Jesus and said, uh, Jesus, if it's at all possible, like let my son sit next to you, you know, like on the, on the throne, right? But their, their mindset the whole time is just so physical, on the earth, like, hey, when you are the new king of Jerusalem, hey, when you're the, the new president to come in, could you make them the vice president and the secretary of state? Or could you, you know what I'm saying? That's kind of like that. Like they had this worldly mindset. So when this happened and Jesus died, all of a sudden it's like all of our dreams have just been crushed. Our world's been flipped upside down. John probably going home replaying in his mind because we know he was one of maybe the only one who was there at the cross as Jesus died, replaying in his mind the crucifixion, the agonizing pain that Jesus was going through for you and I, right? That he was beaten and whipped and hung on a cross that he didn't deserve, being mistreated, the king of kings. And then even replaying in his mind, Jesus speaking to him from the cross and said, Son, behold your mother. 
speaking of Mary, basically saying, John, take care of my mom. Just imagine that John going home with that on Good Friday, on Friday night when Jesus had died. The last thing that he said to me was take care of his mom. Man, how crazy, how sobering. Peter going home, probably replaying in his mind, not, not the first time that he denied Jesus, not just the second time, but three times on the night before he died, I, I betrayed him. As he was being beaten, as he was being led to the cross, and his one, in his moment of need, when I should have been there for him most, man, I denied him. Peter, having these thoughts going through him as he's going home. The rest of the disciples, probably replaying in their mind that as Jesus was arrested, they didn't even see him get beat and crucified necessarily that we know of per se, right? But they all fled. When, when Judas came in and everything started going down, everybody but John and Peter, um, that we can basically say, fled. So these disciples replaying these things in their mind, going home, man, depressing stuff, right? Surely if there was ever a time of darkness, of, uh, of regret, of sorrow, it was then for the disciples. Well, again, coming back to today, today's Saturday. Many have called it Silent Saturday, and I like that. Silent Saturday, really, we don't have any scripture on what happened on Saturday. It was just a time that like, almost like the world shut down, where there wasn't anything going on. What's there to do? Are we going to get together? It doesn't say that the disciples got together to pray. We, they might not have prayed at all. They might have lost hope, total hope. Like, what do we do? The God that we serve is gone. Revivals weren't taking place. Internet served. They didn't have internet. Hey, you guys, let's just meet online because we can't meet in person, right? Things were looking dark. Things were not looking good. But I believe this, that if Jesus could have whispered something to them on Saturday... He could have said something. I think it'd be something like, soon enough, guys. Soon enough, son. Soon, soon enough, my daughter. Soon enough, you're going to see me. Soon enough, you're going to understand why I went through everything that I went through the other day. Soon enough, you're going to understand why I was arrested, why I was beaten, why I was crucified, why I was put in that tomb. But soon enough, you're going to see me. And man, again, take things back to our day and age, man, soon enough. This thing can't end soon enough. Hope feels like it can't come soon enough, right? Peace, comfort, life, security feels like it can't come soon enough. But what I want to say to you is soon enough. But I want to take it and say that it's here. It's so soon that it's right here for the taking, guys. I'm here to tell you that hope's here in the midst of this pandemic. I want to tell you that peace is here in the midst of this pandemic. Comfort is here in the midst of this pandemic. We got uh, life is here in the midst of this pandemic. Can I get just an amen of praise God something right now? Because man, like in the midst of all of this darkness, I believe Jesus is speaking into us and he's just saying, soon enough guys that I'm coming through, but he's just saying, don't give up. Don't, don't let down your guard right now. Don't give up now. We come too far to give up. Come on, let's go. And so that life, that peace, that comfort, it's here. As I said earlier today in our, in our prayers, like where two or more gather, Jesus is here in the midst of us. And Jesus is life. And so if we're gathering here, man, well, we got 44 people joining us online, live streaming. I believe Jesus Christ is here with us in a spiritual way, sitting next to the couch that you're on, sitting right next to you and your spouse and you and your friend while you're driving in your car, whatever you're doing right now. It's like Jesus and the Holy Spirit are right there with you, man, tonight. So Saturday comes and goes for the disciples, right? Jesus' body still laid in the tomb, lifeless, broken. I mean, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions. And that's what we saw. For you and me. This is what it meant when it said he would be afflicted for our iniquities, right? And this is the result of death on a, or the result of the 
curse of death. Remember when, when I said that God told Adam and Eve, said, don't eat of it because you're going to die. But he's saying, you're going to usher in death. And so God's seeing everything. He's like, oh man, I got I to gotta send my son now to die because there's no other way for them to live. And so he's laying there broken, lifeless, breathless. But as you know, the story doesn't stop there. As Sunday rolled around, so did something else. The stone rolled from the tomb, right? And Jesus came out alive. Praise God. And you've, again, probably heard this message before, just a Christian message, an Easter message, but taking it to heart, man, it's like that God Almighty in heaven who knows everything about everyone, knows you, loves you, died for you on the cross, right? And what he did through that is he, got, he bought forgiveness for you. He's like, hey, here, this is forgiveness. Take it. It's yours. He, he bought forgiveness through his death on the cross, and now he's offering it to any who would come. And so that's what Romans says in, I think, Romans chapter 9. says, anybody who believes in the name of Jesus and confesses it with their mouth will be saved. Right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he who uh, believes shall never perish but have everlasting life. It's like, man, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to have life. And so Jesus' death brought and bought life. But then this is what happened when Jesus raised from the grave. Jesus raising to life, it secured our eternity. It secured our eternity. See what I'm saying here? It's like his death bought forgiveness because... Uh, because blood had to be shed. Somebody's got to die, right? And Jesus is like, I don't want you guys to die. I'm going to die for you because I love you that much. So he dies, right? So forgiveness was bought. We could have forgiveness, but we can't have the assurance of an eternal life where we would raise beyond the grave, right? And that's what Jesus shows and proves. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, he's saying, I'm going to raise you from the dead too. He says, if I go away to build a place for you, why wouldn't I come and get you? If I'm going to build a house for you, I'm going to come and get you so you can live in the house. And so he says he's securing our eternity, right? Many of you, you probably put some hope and some, some investment into your 401k, right? But right now I'm not looking too good or too hot. But what I want to say is you need to invest in Jesus in that John 3, 16. You know what I'm saying? Mm, let's go. Give me something. That was good. You got to invest in that John 3.16. He bought forgiveness for you and he wants to secure your retirement plan in eternity. And man, it's just there for the taking. If you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. Man, it's that easy, guys. That easy to make a, a change that would just change life forever. And so Jesus raised up from the dead, right? But what, I, what blows my mind is that he was raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. And I think that's just amazing. I think that's something that we just sometimes, we just glance over. We, we read it and we're like, yeah, I know that verse. The same Spirit that, that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. But man, do we really understand it? Again, that, that this God that is so much bigger than anything we can imagine, who holds the universe in the span of his hands, he knows everything about us so intricately. He knows every detail about you, what you did and thought today, what you did and thought yesterday. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow, right? It's like he's so involved in us, and he knows everything that's going on, and he's so mag magnificent and gigantic. I don't know how to say it. Like, he's the real deal. He's important. I don't know. Like, it blows my mind, you know what I mean? It's like if Donald Trump or somebody or some famous person, and I know I'm not asking for comments if you like him or not, because, I mean, we could all talk about that all day, and that's not what we're here for. But if he came and he talked to you, it'd be like, man, what, what, what's so important about me that the President of the United States would want to come talk to me? But somebody more important than the President in the United States wants to talk to you. Gosh, dang Man, blows my mind. And so the scripture says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you if you believe in Jesus. 
If you believe in Jesus, God Almighty, creator of the universe, the one who puts kings into places and he puts presidents where they're supposed to be and all these things, uses it all to work together for good. The one who parted the Red Sea in the Old Testament, the one who brought Lazarus out of the grave in the New Testament, right? That God who holds the world in his hands has offered us the same spirit. The the Father's will is to love us. Jesus' mission was to love us. The Holy Spirit's to fulfill, to fill us with that love. Ah. That same Spirit is in us. How amazing is that? Can I just get something? Is that, is that not just mind-blowing? Give me a little mind-blowing emoji or something? Gosh. How amazing is that? How encouraging is that? I mean, it should, really, it should mean the world to you and I. In the midst of this pandemic, we could ask the question, well, where does our hope lie? Well, surely not in our 401k, surely not in our economy, surely not in uh, the political powers of the world, surely not in our, and I don't mean any offense by this, but we can't even put our hope into um, healthcare workers. They don't have the cure for this stuff, right? It's like all of this has happened to just get our attention. It's like Jesus is like, hey, I love you. I have a plan for you. I just, I died for you so that you can live. And can you just find some hope and some peace and some comfort in me? I'm trying to give you life. I want to give you my Holy Spirit. I want to give you my comforter. And so our hope should stem from, in this pandemic, it should stem from He who dwells in us. Our hope should stem from that. I mean, ah. Ah, that's just something, to, that's a side note. I don't know. I haven't even gotten into the scripture that I wanted to get into yet, but that's, that's exciting. And it's just mind-blowing that the God of the universe would love us that much. And I just hope that you realize that. But let's look at John chapter 21 now. Friday happened, Jesus dead. Saturday, silent Saturday, nothing going on. Again, just imagine the darkness that's overcoming the disciples there, right? They're just depressed. They don't know what's going to happen next. They've invested everything, and now they have nothing. And Sunday comes around, and the stone rolls away. Well, in John chapter 21, Jesus has already actually revealed himself to some of the disciples. Uh, He's revealed himself to uh, Mary, and he's he's out and about. He's alive. He's revealed himself to um, Thomas, who doubted. I just want to say, like, in the midst of life, I think doubting is just a a natural byproduct of life happening. And it's okay to doubt, but, like, Thomas, you got to take your doubts to the one who's got it all figured out. Um, you got to reroute your doubt. And so bringing it to Jesus, like, Jesus, I don't even know what to think right now. And I just got to come to you because can you help me? Could you help clarify this for me? Help me sort through my thoughts here. And he will. And he proves himself to, to Thomas. Well, verse 1 of chapter 21 of John, again, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them out. And um, So he says this, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel um, of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other Others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So again, I just got to say, Jesus is resurrected at this point. He's alive and well. Um, And so what we see after this is, Peter going fishing, and, and I'm just going to let you know right now, like we're going to hit most of chapter 21, I'm going to throw so many gems at you guys that you could op- open up a jewelry shop, because this thing is just chock full of good stuff right here, but man, check it out, it's like the first thing I note, Jesus is resurrected, he's alive and well, but Peter, what has he done? He has gone back to what he knows. See, when destruction, when discouragement, when depression hits, right, like the thing to kind of revert to, that people revert to is what they know best, the comfort zone. Like, well, what did I do before this? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm going to go back fishing. See, and that's the thing that we have to stand against, guys. See, right now in this, this epidemic, pandemic, if whatever it's called now, right, 
in the midst of this pandemic, it's like, well, what do we do? Where do we go? It's like, well, you don't just bail on Jesus. You can't just go back to the ways of the world. You can't just go back to drinking and smoking and just sleeping around. Or you can't go back to trying to just make a bunch of money on your own and you're trying to be rich and wealthy on your own power. Man, you can't go back to those things. Jesus is alive. He has a plan and a purpose for you and he wants to actually give you life other than what we think of life, right? That's one thing that I love about this season right now. It's like it's showing us like what is life? Was life really work? Was life really a, a paycheck? I mean, life is loving each other and fellowshipping with people. But what we see here, Simon goes back fishing. So he says that I'm going fishing. But what I want you to note here, the next thing here, and especially if you take notes, is that leaders will lead wherever they're at. Leaders will lead wherever they're at. And write that down in the notes, maybe. Leaders will lead wherever they're at. And this is what I mean by that, is that if you are a leader, which I actually honestly believe that God has made every person to lead in some capacity. Maybe it's just to lead your kids. Maybe it's to lead your, lead your co-workers. Maybe it's to lead your friends, um, your family members. Maybe it's to lead just perfect strangers that you've never met in your whole life before. But I believe God has made each and every person to lead in some capacity, in some type of capacity. And so... So what I mean by that is that leaders will lead um, wherever they're at. It's like it doesn't matter what you're doing, but as a leader, you need to realize that people are going to follow you. See, Peter was a leader, and when he was leading for Christ, and he was all bold, he's like, Lord, even if i got to die with you, I'll never deny you, right? Like he was leading in a very bold and powerful way. But when the stuff hit the fan, right, and all of a sudden everything went down, Peter was the first one to deny him three times. He denies him three times, and then now, after all this stuff, and after seeing Jesus get crucified, get buried in the tomb, and he doesn't know that Jesus is alive yet, but he didn't understand what Jesus was saying anyways. He's like, hey, kill me now, and in three days I'm going to raise this, uh, rebuild the temple, right? He didn't understand that. But what we see here in this text is like, now he's like, He's hopeless, he's hurting, and he goes fishing. And this is what you need to know is that he's still leading. He's still leading. And you see what it says next? The rest of them said, we will go with you. Hey, Peter, where are you going? Well, I'm going back to what I know best, and I'm going back to my old ways. And then the rest of them are like, well, we'll go with you. You see how easy people are to lead? Sometimes it's really that easy. Like if you're just like, hey guys, I'm going to church today. You want to come? People are going to follow you. But the same is true in the other sense when like people are like, hey, I'm going to the bar tonight. And people are like, well, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to come with you. And see, you, you, a leader will lead wherever they're at. The question is, what are you leading people to? So Peter's leading people back to his old ways. Verse 4 says, just as day was breaking, so like this is in the middle of the night, they, again, they caught no fish, right? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and I love that, I love the picture that Jesus, the light of the world, on the shore as the light in the world, right, the sun is starting to shine, it's like, it's just a cool picture there. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, now, this is what I want to ask, too, is like, how often are we out doing our own thing, going back to what we knew best and what's comfortable, and Jesus is just right there standing on the shore, and we don't know that he's there? Maybe tonight is one of the first times you hear this, but it's like Jesus is right there on the shore of your life, and he's just watching and waiting. Check out the next question, the question that Jesus asked them, though, in verse 5 of John chapter 21. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? In a sense, have you caught anything? Right? And they answered him, no. Verse 6 says, He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. But just go back to that. He says, Children, do you have any fish? Like, I wonder in my mind, how long was Jesus standing there before he called out to them? I wonder how much did he see them struggle, where it's like, man, if they would just see that I'm here... I could help everything. But he lets them struggle a little bit, and I think struggle is good. It, it creates a little fight in us. It creates a little perseverance where God's like, hey, I'm testing your faith, because that's what the Bible says. These trials have come to test your faith, that, it, that, that, that it's real. Uh, and so he says, children, do you have any fish? 
And again, what do we know about Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus is God and that God knows everything. And so Jesus is not just asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus is asking them a question because he wants them to think about what they're doing. Hey, you've gone out and done your own thing. How's that working out for you? Hey, I I realize you've gone back to fishing. Have you caught anything? Hey, I've realized you've gone back to drinking in your old ways. Is that working out for you pretty good? Jesus just asking the the normal things, and it's not like this huge rebuke, right? Just like, hey, I noticed that you've gone and done your own thing. How's that going? And he just checks in. They answered to him, no, obviously, right? No, we haven't caught anything. But again, he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. I think the disciples, especially if I was one, I would be like, what are you talking about? I'm in the boat, in the sea, right? My net is literally right over here. And you're telling me to pick it up and put it right over here. And I'm going to catch some fish all of a sudden? Like, bro, this is my first time fishing. Um, I've done this before. But they're probably just so hopeless, helpless, um, fed up with not catching anything. Fine. Let's just try it out, right? So he cast it over there. They did what he said, and it said that they cast it out, and they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Another thing to note here. John realizes the work of God in their life. He realizes that this blessing has come all of a sudden. He's like, and it's the Lord. And what I got to say to that is that we need people like John in our life who will see the blessings around us and tell us and point out to us that that's the Lord. I remember one time, uh, one of the guys that I worked with at the church in Tucson, um, he was one of the interns. And so his car wasn't starting one day, right? And it was just me and him in the parking lot. I didn't have any jumper cables or anything. And I just said, hey, pray um, pray that God would make your uh, car start, right? And so he prays. He literally prays. I think he even put his hand on the car and said, Jesus, make my car start in Jesus' name, right? Gets in his car and he turns it on and it turns on, right? And I was like, you better thank Jesus for that. Like, it is the Lord. It wasn't working a minute ago, but now it's working. And we didn't jump start nothing. Like, come on now. Right? Like, we got to recognize the Lord's work there. And so sometimes we need those people in life, especially in times like right now when it's like depressing, when we're hopeless, when we ain't got no peace, we don't have any comfort. We got to say, look at the blessings that you do have. Look at the people that you can hang out with that. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but for me, um, I, I feel like I've connected more with some of my friends back home than I have when I was home. Like all of a sudden that I can't be with you guys like in person, it just makes me want to be with you guys even more. And so like going through things like Zoom and FaceTime, um, it's just been pretty awesome. And so like recognizing the blessings in the midst of the storm. And so he, so um, John points it out. That's that's the Lord, Peter. And Peter gets so excited he just jumps off the boat and he swims the shore. Um, and then it says verse nine. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. Peter, a strong dude, right? It says, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And I would say that's just another work of the Lord where we just see this net that should be torn because it's not supposed to hold that much, not torn. Like God will hold together the things that won't hold together on their own when Jesus is in it. Uh, Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And, and so with the fish, this was now the third time Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then this next portion is where I want to end off with tonight in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So it kind of brings him into this small group, little huddle. Simon, Peter, come over here. Simon. First thing to note is Jesus says Simon. He doesn't say Peter. Simon was his name before he was a follower of Jesus. And and so what we see here is I think Jesus isn't saying per se that you're not a believer or follower, but he just he's identifying 
Peter with who Peter's identifying himself with. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? It's like Peter's like, I'm not a disciple anymore. And I think I even went over it. Um, I don't know where it was. But one of the verses, um, it says that Jesus tells Mary, says, go get the disciples and Peter. Which gives us that mindset, like, well, Peter just, he resigned. He's not a disciple anymore. He's like, I denied the Lord. Um, I'm no good. I'm of no use. Therefore, I'm going to go back to fishing. And I mean, how many of us have done that in life where we're like, I tried being a good Christian. I tried loving. I tried forgiving. I tried not to get drunk and high and do stupid things. I tried not to spend money and blow it on everything. But man, my bills are still all out of whack and stuff. Uh, like, I tried to be who God's calling me to be, but I can't do it. It's too hard. And we just go back to what we, what we knew. And so Jesus says, get the disciples and Peter. Because again, I think Peter doesn't consider himself a disciple. And so Jesus identifies Peter with who Peter's identifying himself with, Simon. It basically, I think that would almost hit you to the heart, right? It's like when your Lord and Savior refers to you as your old name instead of your new name that he gave you, like, Lord, why are you, he doesn't ask the question, why are you calling me Simon? Because I think he knows, he's like, Jesus knows that I gave up. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I remember asking this question to uh, the young adult ministry that I used to lead. And I said, what does he mean by more than these? Is he referencing the fish that they just pulled in? Peter, do you love me more than these? Or is he referencing the disciples, the other disciples, the friends, the family? Do you love me more than these guys? And, and I read things about commentators who would think differently, one side with different things. But I really think that Jesus is just saying, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than what you've gone back to, Peter? Do you love me more than... Going back to the things that you were good at before you met me, do you love me more than this job that's providing for you right now a little bit and that's secure and it's an essential business right now and that you can make it through in life and kind of go on the easy route right now? Do you love me more than these, Peter? And I think Jesus would say a similar thing to us as he's put the world on pause right now. And he would just say, many of you, 17 million in fact, of you have lost your jobs. And maybe Jesus is saying to you right now, do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than these things, these worldly things? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The interesting thing about this text here is that Jesus says, do you agape me? meaning this unconditional love, this all out, all in, to life or death, I'm in it, to win it, love, right? Like, doesn't matter what happens today, I love you. Doesn't matter what happens tomorrow, I love you, I'm gonna be here for you, right? And so Jesus like, do you love me like that? And then Simon, Peter, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he responds with, you know that I phileo you. And what, and what Peter is saying there, he's like, like he hears Jesus' word, he's like, do I agape you? And he's probably thinking in his mind, well, I did at one point, and I thought I did anyways, but then things hit the fan, and I don't know, didn't know what to do, and they asked me those questions, and I was just under fire, under pressure, didn't know what to do, and so, and then I denied you. I don't know if I love you like that anymore, Lord. I want to, and so he says, I phileo you, and what he's saying is like, I, I brotherly love you, like you're my homie, we, we can kick it, man. I really love you. I respect you. Maybe he's just trying to be real with himself. I don't know. And then he says to him, Jesus says to Peter, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Get back to what I called you to do. A couple weeks ago, I shared a message called Stay the Course, right? It's like, well, what do we do in the midst of this pandemic? Well, we stay the course. 
The Great Commission hasn't changed. Sure, the state of the world and circumstances have changed, but Jesus hasn't changed, right? God hasn't changed the mission. His mission is the same as it was with Adam and Eve sin all the way to Revelation. And he's just saying, hey, go to the ends of the earth, make disciples of all nations, teach them the things that I've taught you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, come on. And so he's saying there, like to Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, Lord, I mean, I kind of love you. Like, bro love, man, I'm, I'm there. He says, well, then just stop moping around, get up, get to business, feed my lambs. And remember, he says, do you love me more than these? He says, do you love me more than your job and the things that you've retreated to and that you're trying to find security and purpose and life in? And he's saying, do you love me more than these, Peter? And then he says, yes, Lord. And he says, well, then get to work. Can I say that to you today, Christian, brother, sister? That that maybe today you're watching this thing, and man, COVID-19 is just shaking your world like you wouldn't believe. And where do you do now? And you've just gone back to, to bad ways, bad habits, bad things. And Jesus is saying to you today, and he says, hey you, do you love me? And I think we would hear the message of the cross and the resurrection. We would say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then get back to work. Then make disciples. Guys, that's our calling. That's our mission. Make disciples. How how do you do that? Right, I heard a teaching not too long ago about a a pastor who went over to, I think it was um, India, into these like unchurched people groups. And he was saying how these people, they have not even heard of the name of Jesus. They haven't heard of the Bible. They don't know what any of that is. So if you say, hey, Jesus loves you, they've never heard of who Jesus is. And so he was saying, he's like, many of you, and he's speaking to a room full of American Christians, he's like, you would be theologians to them. And I think so often we count ourselves out. We're like, I don't know enough. We think, um, I need to know more, and maybe if I can get them to Pastor Nick or, or Pastor Robert, right, or some pastor, some theologian, some guy who's actually a pastor at a church, well, then they can sort it all out. But I think we got to realize that Jesus has given you and me and anyone who will believe the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We just got to let them in and say, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. He died for you so that you could be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that he could secure your place in heaven. And he's calling your name and he's saying, hey, come here. I have a seat for you. Ah, We can all say that, right? Verse 16, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he says this agape love. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Pretty much the same thing. Get to work. Feed my lambs. Teach them the gospel. Do what I created you to do. Um, Tend my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And I mean, could you imagine? Basically, Jesus asking, do you love me? One time for every time that Peter denied him. Do you love me? Imagine those of you who have a a spouse or you're in a relationship and your spouse comes to you and says, well, do you love me? They say, well, yeah, babe, you know that I love you. Well, then do the dishes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, but, but you answer, yeah, babe, you know that I love you. And they come back a few moments later and they say, babe, do you, do you love me? Well, yeah, you know that I love you. Then you ask him that third time and you say, hey, babe, do you know or, or do you love me? Even And I believe that word in the third time is Jesus comes down to his level and says, do you even phileo me? Like, really? Do you even have that brotherly love that you're saying? And it'd be like asking your spouse, do you even love me a little bit? Wouldn't you be frustrated? Yes. Yes, you know. Yes, you know. And Peter's like, yes, Lord. You, and he says this right here. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I think 
for so many of us, man, that's our thing. We're like, Lord, you know that I love you, but we just, we count ourselves out because we're like, but I've failed too much. And I failed too much, but then he says to him, feed my sheep. I love that Jesus doesn't bring up anything that he, that Peter's done. He doesn't throw it in his face. He doesn't say, but you denied me, Peter. So you got some work to do. You denied me, Peter, and so now we actually need to put you on a probation period here before we get you into disciple-making again. Jesus just meets him right where he's at. He says, do you love me? And he says, get back to work. And I think we need to understand these things. It's like that, that Jesus, like when we, when we blow it, we think in our minds, like I got to do some things to make it right, and I'm starting back at square one. But Jesus, when he comes in with his forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit, that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and me, right? And so he comes in with his forgiveness, the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus comes in and he's like, I'm not concerned about all that. You don't need to start back at square one. He's like, where were we at? Where were we at? Oh, we were over here. You, you were at square 20. He's like, well, we're going back to 20 and get back to work. I mean, sometimes the Holy Spirit will reroute us, right? Like a good GPS. If you guys have a GPS and you use it, I'm sure that you do, right? You put in the address where you're going and you make a wrong turn. It doesn't yell at you and say, oh, you idiot. You went the wrong way. How could you do that? I can't believe you. I mean, you must not really trust me, right? No, it doesn't do any of that. It just says rerouting. Rerouting. It might add five minutes to your drive, right? But it just says rerouting. And I think that that's God's voice to us today. It's like just saying rerouting. I'm not here to throw everything back in your face and say that you're a failure and you denied me and man, you had this opportunity here. And you shouldn't have indulged in that sin. Jesus is just like, he, he acknowledges all that, but he's like, it's all forgiven on the cross. Rerouting. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to business. He says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, this is John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this man? And this is the danger, guys, in Christianity and just in life in general. One of the dangers is, is playing this comparison game. We hear Jesus say, hey, you, leave your job leave your comforts, follow me, right? But then we'll look at the people around us. Okay, God, I got it. I heard it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. But what about my homie over here? Uh, does he got to leave his family and friends and all everything that he knows and loves back in Tucson to go start a church too? Like, is that what's going to happen, Lord? Like, let me in on the situation. Like, he's got to get something. He's got something coming too, right? But man, that's such a, such a dangerous mindset comparison. Look at what Jesus says to them. He says, Jesus says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he may remain until I come, what is it to you? You must follow me. So guys, that's the, the message I want to leave, leave you with here today is we're going through something right now. This world, as long as we've been alive, we haven't experienced something like this. Uh, a lot of people are hopeless, a lot of people are depressed, a lot of people are wondering when their next paycheck's going to come, when's the stimulus plan going to come and pay out, right? When, when can we go back to work? When can I take my kids to the park and just get out again? Um, when, can we, when can we do these things? And again, I want to say to you, soon enough. But in the meantime, right now, like, where can we find hope? How can we find it? When? It's like right now. In Jesus Christ, in the same spirit that raised him from the dead, that brought him out of the tomb, it's available to you and I. If you would just call out to Jesus today, it says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And man, again, it's like invest in the retirement plan, John 3, 16, not the 401k of the world. Invest in that, the heavenly, eternal realm, guys. 
and you're going to have everlasting life. And in the meantime, we think of these things like, well, what do we do here, right? It's like, and Jesus is like, well, do you love me? I know that you lost your job, but do you love me? And we're like, well, yeah, Lord, I know that you love me, but how are the bills going to get paid? He's like, well, just feed my sheep. Do what I told you to do. You see, I think it was uh, Chuck Smith who said, where God guides, God provides. And guys, I got to be honest with you that I haven't seen this in my life more than in this last month than ever before. I mean, in the last four and a half years, as me and my wife have been married, I have not seen God's provision so clearly and evidently uh, as I have in those four and a half years, but really this last month, April 11th to March 11th, it's just been amazing. But it's like when we get to work and we get to the things that God's calling us to, and for us, it's the church plant in this foreign city, leaving our family and friends and everything we know and love in Tucson, coming out here to do this work. We, we came out here and I had a little meltdown, I'll be honest with you. I just freaked out. God, what are we doing? How are we going to get through this? I had a job on Friday and I lost it on Monday. I didn't even get to start. How is this ever going to work, Lord? And you need to, I need something here, right? But again, I brought my doubts to God. Reroute your doubt, bringing that back to the Lord. And so I brought that to the Lord, but we're out here and God's like, just feed my sheep. Do what I called you to do. Make disciples so that people may know Jesus. And so that was like, then the next week we launched our first live stream service on Facebook, which you guys can go and listen to on our podcast um, because we're just like, well, yeah, that's right. Why are we freaking out? We're like, what, what's going on, Lord? What do we do? And he's like, stay the course. The plan's still the same. You guys wake up, feed my sheep. It's okay. I'm here. My spirit is in you guys. I've, Jesus told the disciples, he says, I'm going to leave and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send someone who's better than me anyways. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's not that he's better and more powerful in a sense, but it's like the Holy Spirit is everywhere and available to everyone to fulfill, to fill them, right? And so Jesus is like, guys, I, my Holy Spirit is there to fill you with comfort, to fill you with peace, to give you hope in a future that you would never imagine. And as you're doing my will in your life that I'm empowering you to do, as you're fulfilling your call to make disciples in whatever application that might look like, Jesus is like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Like, as we go, that's when we're going to see God start to show all of these things in his provision. But if we sit here and we're like, God, I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. And then we just stop doing everything, right? Then we're not going to see anything. And so like he said to Peter, he says, follow me, right? What do I do? Follow me. Maybe you're watching online here tonight or you're listening to this later. And maybe... Maybe you were a follower of Jesus at one point, but maybe through this COVID thing you're wondering, what is even real? Maybe like the disciples on Good Friday and they saw Jesus being crucified and they wonder, our Savior just died. What even matters anymore? But I want to encourage you to hold on, hang on, to dive into Scripture. And I want to use what Jesus said to Peter and says, follow me. See, it's an offer. It's on the table. It's a yes or no. It's not complicated. I know we like to make it complicated and say, yeah, but this, and now I got to do that and do the other thing. And Jesus is like, no, just follow me. And so maybe you knew Jesus at one point, but you faded away because of circumstances in the world. I want to encourage you to come back and that you would consider tonight that you would renew your commitment to the Lord, that you would say, Lord, here I am. You know that I love you, Lord. I got caught up in some doubts and some hard times for a minute and I got a little twisted in my mind, but I'm here now, God, and I, and I see that you are the way, the truth, and the life and I want to get back to business and I just want to encourage you tonight that you would give your life back to the Lord and that you would say, here I am. I want to follow you. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord and you're like, hey, I don't need God. I'm good. I got money. I got a job. I got all these other things uh, right now, but... Uh, Hasn't what we've gone through in this last month proven that there is no hope in money? There is no hope in the economy. There is no hope in, in political powers. And yeah, the stimulus plan is going to come and we're going to get a paycheck. But man, it's only going to last so long. And then we're all going to be hopeless in that sense again. It's like the world cannot give you hope. It can give you a fake imitation. Satan's pretty good at smoking mirrors. 
but only Jesus can give you the real thing. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight that you would give your life to Jesus for the first time tonight and that you would say, Jesus, here I am. I've blown it. I've denied you like Peter. I abandoned you uh, long before even you were crucified and I just left the scene. But Jesus, tonight I'm hearing your message that you died for me, that you're a God who knows everything about the whole universe and you know everything about me. You care so deeply about me that I want to live for you. I want to encourage you to give your life to the Lord tonight. In Romans, again, it says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I really believe it's that simple. And so what I just want to ask you guys tonight is that if you're following along online, maybe you type it in the comments. Maybe you believe this and you're all on fire. You're fervent for the Lord. I want to ask that you would pray this and that you would say this with me in the comments section. I want to ask if you're coming back home to Jesus, you've left him for a while. You're like, hey, I'm going back fishing. But Jesus is like, no, come and follow me. And you're coming back tonight. I want you to read this, type this in the chat. And if you're coming to the Lord for the first time tonight and you're like, hey, I've never done this thing before and I've, never, I've always been... I'm a little weary of it, but I'm hearing God's voice tonight, and I'm hearing that there's hope. I'm hearing that there's life, and I want that. I want to accept it. I want you to just type this in, in, into the comments. And so say it with me, guys, is that I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he loves me, that he is calling me, and that he will equip me to live for him. And I believe that he raised from the grave to secure my eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just pray again just for you guys real quick, and um, I'll have a couple closing announcements, and we'll get off here. But Father God, we thank you for your word. It is so good. It's so rich. You are so loving. We are undeserving of your love. but we're thankful. God, stir up in us a heart of gratitude in these days, Lord, that we might not have what we want, but God, we surely have what we need. God, give us a heart to follow you. Give us that mindset of soon enough, Lord. It'll be over soon enough. We'll see you soon enough, God, and help us just to hang in there and to hold on. Help us to hold on to this, your, the story of your resurrection, Lord, fulfilling scripture, that there's tremendous hope and peace and comfort in that. And if you fulfilled your word then, why wouldn't you fulfill it now? God, you will. I believe you'll do it, God. And so we just con we continue to wait, but help us to serve while we wait. God, we look forward to seeing you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.